Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now just want to do a quick disclaimer for this episode this is going to be the first episode that we've recorded that deals with violence towards children Um, so listener discretion advised, it might not be for everybody. Um, if you don't want to listen to this one, come back and see us next week. We'll have something. I'm a, I'm going to guarantee you we'll have something more fun next week than this one, because this, uh, this is going to be a rough one. So if you want hang out, if not, we'll see you next. What's going on, everyone? Hey, what's up? It's another week of uh, the wonderful podcast. Yeah. But before we get into actually talking about what we're going to cover today, um, hopefully you heard the disclaimer yeah. at the beginning of the show. Uh, and so this is one, probably one of the reasons why you should go over to studio.com yep. to check out them to get a pair of headphones or earbuds. So episodes like today... You do not probably want other people to hear. Yeah. Or especially if you have little ones around, you don't want them to hear yeah. this either. It's, I hope you brought a flashlight because it's about to get dark. Yeah. So go over to studio.com. <laughs> check out what they have for headphones and earbuds. I'm most positive. Both of us are most positive that you will not, you know, I'm not, thre- not like what you would. I'm get. 397% positive you find something you want. 397 that's, that's a lot. Whoa. Yeah. So. so put what you find in your basket. Go to checkout. Put the discount code of DarkWindows15 to get 15% off your complete order. Yeah. I know you will love them. My mom, she's got a brand new pair She of the Regent 2s. She loves them. She's been using them lately. She, put, she sends me pictures on Facebook. She goes, hey, look, I'm using them. I got my headphones, loser. <laughs> <laughs> and she loves the white. Also. Go over to darkwindowspod.threadless.com. Find a t-shirt, find a sweatshirt, find a skateboard. Yeah, yeah. that's right. You can yeah. get a dark window skateboard. Um, also, I am, I'm currently wearing the classic black shirt with white logo. Fucking awesome. Super comfy shirt. I had my uh, I had my baseball tee on last week. And, and you saw a picture of that. I had a hard time taking that thing off. It's super comfy. If you're so, well, you saw a picture of it if you're on the Facebook page, yeah, which you can find us at Dark Windows Podcast yeah. on Facebook. Um, so yeah, yeah, you can get all kinds of stuff over at Threadless. Um, so let's begin this. Uh, this let's begin this crazy episode of uh, yeah today. So what are we talking about? So today we are going to be discussing the Beast of Jersey, and when I say that, I don't mean 
the winged horse dragon cow thing flying around in New Jersey in the forest. This is a two-legged monster that this, we are going to be covering. Is this Jersey, United States, or the, Jersey, Can- uh, England? The Isle of Jersey. The Isle of yes. Jersey. So the Isle of Jersey is a gorgeous little five-mile by nine-mile green-covered rock in the English Channel tucked into the northwest coastal area of France. Hmm. What I found pretty interesting, though, is with its close proximity proximity to France, which, I mean, it's only 14 miles from Jersey to mainland France. Yeah. The primary language there is English. So it's, it's in the, is it in the English Channel? Yes. Okay. Yep. Um. Uh, Jersey is also the ancestral homeland of one of the most popular cow breeds in the world, the Jersey. Aha. Uh-huh. I thought that was actually in uh, Jersey, because isn't there a Jersey, England, I, th- I think? Sorry. It's, it's, Excuse me. It is. It's, I mean, it's an English island, oh, basically. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I kind of had to mention that because being in Vermont, which is a state where people are outnumbered by cows, like what? Probably fucking 10 to 1. Close to that. Um. It's also where the term Jersey comes from, because Jersey wool was actually used for a very long time. And um, so like when you have like hockey jerseys or baseball jerseys. Yeah. Old, so that's like the Jersey old school. That's where the all the the uh, cotton came from was there. Oh, I love those. Yeah. Uni- I or the love, wool. I'm sorry. Wool. I love those uniforms. Yeah. Oh, I so wish we used to ha- still had them when I was in high school. Another interesting fact, Jersey is actually the home of Geralt of Rivia himself. Henry Cable is from the Isle of Jersey. Oh, wow. He's pretty much like the most famous person from there. Oh, I did not know that. And considering the place is tiny, I'm not really surprised that there's not a lot of like, (laughs) Uh you know, you can actually visit the remnants of a World War II Nazi base that's there as well. Mm-hmm. Considering, again, its proximity to England, this time it's only 85 miles to the mainland. It was a really, really, really strategically sound place for the Nazis to build a base. Yeah, because you they can... were in France. Exactly. For you know, And they, they figured it probably a better jumping off point to try to bomb uh, England. Yeah. When they I were mean, doing you, the you, can, you can send skips over there and just fucking... Yep. If they wanted to, if they had a, a, a large enough force... They could have very easily invaded mainland England from Jersey. So this Jersey <laughs> demon. Well, what is it? W- one more or, time. One 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 other thing oh, okay. I wanted to mention with the Nazis though. The cha- uh, the Channel Island was actually one of the last places to be freed from Nazi occupation during World War II. The Nazis finally surrendered the island on May 9th of 1945. Oh. So they held out they held out on Jersey for quite a while. Yeah. So Six years after the Nazis had been removed from the island, the population reached just about 55,000 residents, most of which lived in the island's only big town, kind of, of St. Helier. Considering how tight-knit this area was, nobody saw what was coming. A sexual predator unlike any other of the era. A man in a real fucking creepy mask, women's wig, and a long black coat covered in nails. Wow. The first attack was in November of 1957, when a 29-year-old woman was grabbed from a bus stop in the Montlaab area. The man dragged her into a nearby field and sexually assaulted her. He left her bloody and beaten with injuries that would require a hospital stay and stitches, but she was still alive. When the police interviewed her, she said 
He had what sounded like a fake Irish accent. She couldn't tell. Uh, she couldn't tell him what he looked like since he had something covering his face, most likely like a bandana or a rag or something like uh-huh. that. The next attack took place in March of 1958. The assailant approached a 20-year-old victim this time and threw a rope around her neck and dragged her into a field near the parish of Trinity when she was walking home from a bus stop. In July of the same year, a third victim came forward. The 31-year-old victim described an almost play-by-play recount of the, of the previous attack. Now with three almost identical attacks, the police started to link the assault to one person. The attacks were on women of roughly the same age, shape, and size, and they all took place at or around bus stops, also near open fields, and all three had been lightly strangled with a rope. Basically not enough to hurt them, but enough to get them to comply. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you do that, you know, I mean, strangle them a little bit, it does it, did they not, did they get knocked out? No, I mean, suffocated or whatever, just so that they. I mean, because if they're strangled, no, I mean, it, it. I think it's more like when you just cut your airway of off, your airway yeah. off for like even a little bit, a couple seconds, you kind of get lightheaded, you know. Yeah, and okay. it makes you easier to control and yeah. do, you know, other because stuff you, like that. Because you're not wanting. To, you know, I mean, you're getting to that point where you're going to pass out. Yeah, it's like, and all you want to do is breathe, and you can't. Almost a year later. In August of 1959, a young girl was grabbed from a public bus stop near the parish of Garouville as she was walking home from the bus. He struck again in October. This time, a 28-year-old woman was attacked in the same location, but this would-be victim fought the man off and sent him scurrying off into the night. Fucking finally. Yeah. Finally. This woman gave a little bit better description to the uh, to the police of the man. She said he was in his 40s, about 5'6 in height, average build. She also said he sounded like he was using a fake Irish accent and he had a really musty smell. So that's a new detail, but an old detail at the same time. So he's obviously trying to cover who he is with his fake accent. Yep. So he's not as dumb as, you know, he's he's trying to cover his tracks a little bit at least. With this woman's report to the police, they began to build a case and connect all of the rapes in the area to one unknown attacker. Thus, the Beast of Jersey was born. The man must have known that the police were after him at this point in time. Um, they were catching on to him. So he changed his modus operandi. And in 1960. Ooh, yeah. That's a $5 word right there. Maybe $10 word for you. I use it all the time, though. Oh, yeah? I yeah. Think, uh, this is the first time I've heard you use uh, said word. Have you listened to any of our other true crime episodes? Uh, nope. Yes, I've been here. <laughs> and for well, you were listening six- so hard that you didn't hear what I was saying. Shut up. <laughs> I heard them all. So anyway, uh, in 1960, he began attacking people in their homes, which is way fucking scarier than just getting jumped on the street. So he changes his M.O. Yeah. From uh, now. From attacking people on the street to breaking into their houses. Yeah. That's that's like a uh, progression. Yeah, definitely. Because he must have got bored. No, not, not got bored. Was getting smart because the police were catching on to him. Or, well, I mean... Yeah, but he could have got bored or or wanted to step up the the um the feeling because he wasn't getting it from he wasn't getting what he needed from attacking people women on the street. So he's like, "Okay, well I have to up this, you know, I, to get this feeling." I think it was butt covering. You think so? I'm yeah, that's that's you, where I land with it. Cuz usually like with 
I mean, like serial killers, they they escalate. Right, but those are killers. Yeah, but this is sort of the same thing. He's escalating. He he's escalating, but he's also doing it to cover his ass. Okay. That's where I, that's what I think at least. All right, all right. I'll go with okay. that. Uh, I'll go. I'll go with that. This new development led to the first attack of 1960, and the target this time was a 12 year old boy. Whoa! But, yeah, he went from girls to boys, and now he's gone down in age by uh, what eight years? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, right. Because the last one was 21, I believe so. Uh, 28. Oh, okay. I thought you had said a 21. I'm sorry. No. Um, so yeah, he's, he's changing his demographic. He's changing how he's doing things. So it makes it harder to catch. Yeah. On February 14th, the master molester crawled through the boy's window and threw a rope around his neck and forced him outside through the window. The man assaulted the boy outside before letting him go. In March, a 25 year old woman was offered a ride by a man claiming to be a doctor driving a Range Rover. He said he was on his way to pick up his wife, but would give her a lift on the way. She accepted, and unfortunately, this would probably be the worst car ride she would ever get. On their way to, quote, pick up his wife, the man drove into a field and stopped the vehicle. Within park, he began to punch and slap the young woman in the head and neck and shoulders, just anywhere he could hit her. And then he told her if she didn't do exactly what he said, he was going to kill her. He rolled her onto her side and tied her hands behind her head and dragged her from the car and threw her down in the muddy field and raped her. When he was finished, he dragged her back and put her back in the car and drove away. She did escape and ran screaming into the night, begging and shouting for help. At this point in time, he fucking, he took off before anybody could arrive at the scene to help. And the woman did, however, get a decent description of what he was wearing. She said he was wearing a duffel coat, which I had to look it up. It kind of looks like a pea coat, but it's mm-hmm. got a hood on it. Yeah. So you can like flip the hood up and down uh, and a peaked cap. So kind of like a military officer hat. Okay. Uh, now, since this attack was so similar to the previous series, the police attribute it back to the beast, but they were thrown for a loop with the selection of the 12 year old boy. So they didn't think maybe that wasn't him. They still suspected the same man was responsible for all of these since the signature of the rope was being used. Mm. So as the police are hunting for this predator, he strikes again later that month at a secluded cottage in the area of St. Martin Parish. So he goes back to a house because he's, huh, so he picks up, goes, changes his MO from from getting people at a bus stop. Mm Mm-hmm. To go into a house. So then he goes, pick someone up on the street. And I think he picked her up because she was an easy target. Probably, yeah. You know. That sounds like it. Yeah, definitely. So uh, then, then now he's going back to a house again. Right. Um, and this this part this part might be difficult to listen to, just as a well, the whole fucking episode's going to be, but uh this part was kind of rough. Um At 1230 at night, a 43-year-old mother was awakened by the phone ringing. When she picked it up, she heard a click on the other end. She didn't think anything of it. Maybe somebody had the wrong number, you know, whatever. Instead of saying, oh, I'm sorry, I have the wrong number, just hanging it up. So she goes back upstairs and goes to bed. About an hour later, she wakes up. This time, it's an odd sound. She walks quietly down the stairs to investigate, and she saw a light going out into the living room. As she quietly walked down the stairs to investigate, she saw the lights go out in the living room as she reached the bottom of the stairs. 
As she stood there listening, she heard someone moving around in the living room. She makes her way over to pick up the phone to call the police and realizes the the lines have been ripped out of the phone. So this is already this is starting to turn into a fucking horror movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yes. yes, definitely uh, horror movie-esque. I, I could almost see her picking up the phone and like hitting the plunger and being like, why the fuck's this not working, you know? Yeah, because at, at that time it's, you know, not uh, – you had what? Uh, Probably a rotary phone. Rotary phone or push button. Yeah. At least. So just as she hangs the phone up, she hears a man's voice come from the shadows. He told her she screamed or made a sound. He was going to kill her. Uh. He steps out of the shadows, grabs her, and demands money. She stood there, absolute fucking panic, because she hears the the footsteps coming downstairs behind her. When the woman's 14-year-old daughter entered the room, the man fled the cottage. The mother ran to a neighboring farmhouse to try to get get a hold of the police. Uh-huh. When she returned, she found her daughter laying on the floor, crying with her hands bound behind her, uh, behind her and red marks on her neck from a rope. So he got out of the house. Ballsy motherfucker. Yeah. He leaves the house. Mom goes to get help. He comes back in and attacks so, the daughter. Kind of like a diversion, basically. Yes. Because he... He's like, okay, well, oh, oh, okay, I'll take mom. He's like, okay, I'll take her. Oh, someone younger. Yeah. Okay. Oh, she's gone. Oh, I'll go back for her because she's an easier target. And, you know, it wasn't even a diversion. This was like an absolute, like, perfect opportunity for him because he's like, oh, mom left. Well, guess what? Well, I mean, not so much even a diversion. Like, it's, yeah, it's basically a uh, uh, opportunity, you know. Not wasted. Yeah, basically, yeah. Because, I mean, that's, you know, yeah, opportune time. And, of course, when the police got there, after she had gotten a hold of them, both of them were so shaken up that neither could give a useful description to yeah. the police. I mean, understandably. <laughs> How, yeah. You know, over the next 12 months, he struck five more times. Yeah. His new full-time MO was... The, breaking into houses, abducting and assaulting children and young teens. During 1960, at least three of his victims got a really good look, and they all described the same thing. A man wearing a horrifying white rubber mask with a wig stitched to it. I'm going to post some pictures of this mask, um, because to be honest with you, I didn't know what I was getting into with this guy. Because yeah. all I saw was the mask and the coat. And I was like, oh, that's fucking crazy looking. I want to talk about this guy. Yeah. And now I regret it. Now you're like, <laughs> you know? uh, fuck. Yeah. That was not such a good move. Yeah. No. It, it It's weird because it kind of, it almost looks like a precursor to the Michael Myers mask from Halloween. Except with like a weird black wig stitched to it. Yeah. Um. So at this point in time, 1962. The police investigation is ramping up. It's picking up steam there. Uh-huh. And it's it's starting to do so because of mounting pressure from the public go, saying, we need to figure out who this is. Oh, yeah, of course they want. They, yeah. they don't feel safe. It's kind of like, um, uh, oh, what the hell was that? Uh, the one in uh, Arkansas, Texas. Texarkana murders. Te- yeah. Moonlight murders. Yeah. People were, you know, feeling, you know. Not so safe yeah. and everything else, and just wanted to ha- get it done. 
And the thing is, though, you're on an island with 55,000 people. There's like a fucking great chance somebody knows this guy very well. Oh, yeah. That's a small it, There's small There's world. neighborhoods in, in like New York City that have twice that population, you know? Yeah. And of course, it's a nine by, what do we say? Nine by five, a nine mile by five mile island. So yep. it's not a huge chunk of land. There's no. not a lot of space to hide. No, not really. I mean, but he's so far... Got away with it. Yeah. They were unfortunately no closer to catching him at this point uh, than they were after the first attack. Yeah. You know, the media on the island jumped on the on this fact and took shots at the police force at every corner they could, basically saying that the force was they were stretched too thin. They weren't well enough equipped to deal with something like this. They weren't trained well enough to deal with something like this. Basically throwing anything out at, you know, at them because... They were scared and wanted answers and just didn't, you know, had to have somebody to blame. Yeah. For it because that's what the media does. They have to put blame on someone. You have to have a scapegoat. Yes. You can't just say they're doing their best to find this asshole. Exactly. It's their fault because they haven't caught him yet. Yep. So with all this going on, the police were basically their hand was forced and they decided that they needed some assistance from the mainland and they contacted Scotland Yard. Ooh, bringing in the big guns. Yeah. The Yard responded by sending the head of the murder squad, Detective Superintendent Jack Manning. Manning himself is a pretty badass detective. Um, He was one of the lead investigators in the Hammersmith nude murders, which took place between 1964 and 1965. Hmm. Um, these were actually also known as the Jack the Stripper killings. <laughs> nice. Um, that can be in its own episode in its own. Sounds like there's a sh- lot that goes into that. Sounds like it should be. So when Manning arrived on the island, he took the reins and refocused the investigation. He allowed the identikit sketch that had been done to be released to the public and he urged them to stay vigilant. Yeah. The police began going back through and checked every man Every man on the island that had a criminal record, especially anyone who had a history of sex-related crimes. Mm. Which wow. That would have included everything from uh, sexual assault to trying to hire a prostitute and getting caught for it. That Ooh. whole category there. That could probably open up a can of worms that uh, may not be good because it probably could have... Could it expose some uh, politicians, maybe? Yeah, but at this point in time, fuck politicians. You've got a exact yeah a true. rapist on the loose, and you want to you true. want this motherfucker dead. <laughs> you you want him gone off the streets, not to you know to be around anymore, right? And this is where it gets real intense because not only did they open up all these other criminal cases, yeah, they also ordered. Every male on the island to report to a police station and do fingerprinting to help kind of like narrow down, <clears throat> you know, like narrow them down and be like, okay, yeah. so your your prints don't match. You're not a suspect. Fine. Uh-huh. Cool. There was only 13 men who refused to do this, which was well within the law at the time. So they could just say, no, I don't want to. And let me guess. One of those was our fuck bag is probably one of them. Yeah. Under the supervision of the detective superintendent, the investigation soon focused in on a group of 30 men. Uh huh. 
One of the prime suspects was 45-year-old Alphonse Le Gastrelet. Alphonse was a farmer and a fisherman who was in the right age range, and he was well-known to roam the alleys and laneways on the island wearing a dirty old raincoat with a section of rope fashioned into a belt. Shit's not looking good for our buddy Alphonse right now. No. Because you kind of look like suspect number one. You are definitely possibly the perp. Spoiler alert, he's named as the primary suspect. People on the island start getting a little pissed off and hostile towards him. Um, When he was brought in for questioning, he was released after only 14 hours due to lack of evidence. Even though he was released, his clothing was still taken and sent to a crime lab at Scro- uh, Scotland. <laughs> Scro- <laughs> Scro- ah! Scrotland Yard. <laughs> Scrotland. Good old Scrotland Yard. So his clothes were still sent off to the crime lab at Scotland Yard. Yep. Alphonse ends up leaving the island in 1961 after a group of people who thought he was still, who were like, no, you're the guy. Yeah, you. Even you. though they said, no, you're the guy. They burned his house to the ground. So he's like, fuck this. I'm not, I'm, I quit. I'm not playing ball anymore. And he left the island. Wow. The police had begun to build a much stronger view of the MO of the beast. And they'd started connecting attacks even further by coming to a few new conclusions. They figured he must be really familiar with the island, especially the eastern half of it. He also, so far, had only struck on weekends under well-lit skies between the hours of 10 p.m. and 3 a.m. They also figured that he had premeditated most of his attacks, considering he always brought his own equipment with him. Never found anything on the side of the road, never found a fucking broken belt somewhere, and was like, oh, that'll work. Yeah. Uh, He never took or used anything from the scenes for his victims. Mm -hmm. He he took no trophies. Yeah. Nothing. Other than the satisfaction that he had probably just destroyed somebody's life well that's what he was after yeah he, he not after any trophies he was or after sex sex or getting himself off same difference you know, because <laughs> that was you know you get the satisfaction out of it either way you know yeah that's true one of the scariest things that they had learned is that most of the more recent attacks involve sneaking into the room of the victims in their sleep binding their hands blindfolding them and tying a rope around their, their neck to lead them out into a nearby field where he could sexually assault them. So kind of take a second to try to imagine being woken up by a stranger in the middle of the night in a fucking horrifying looking mask. It's covered in dirt and just stinks. And then he's tying you up. Just trying to figure out if you're going to even survive what's coming at you or not. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't fucking imagine, you know, no, I mean, like, only thing I can relate to with that is, um, so my uncle who just passed away, um, he, back when I think I was in high school, I think, maybe in college, doesn't matter, whichever it was, or a while ago, he had woke up, him and his wife woke up to, um, basically weapons back to their you know pointed at their heads because somebody Jesus. was robbing their house um and they could they didn't i mean they were being robbed and everything and they were like what the hell you know and 
that's I mean that's got to be just as scary. You know, as yeah. close as I can come up to something close of like that, where you know your your life, you don't know if whether you're going to be shot, right, or what. I mean, these women and well, boys, yeah, you know, must have, having to be feel the same thing of whether am I going to die or am I going to yeah. live, and you know, th- weren't thinking about anything else beyond that. It's just. Life or death. Exactly. So the investigation on the island didn't wrap the beast up right off, but it scared this guy enough that he stopped for two full years. Mm. 1964 saw two attacks, one on a nine-year-old boy in April and an 11-year-old boy in November. Mm -hmm. He then went back into hiding until 1966 when he attacked a 10-year-old girl and a 16-year-old boy. Uh, The investigation started to grow cold in 1966 until an anonymous letter was sent to the police. The Dark Windows Podcast is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. The Great Courses Plus is a subscription video on-demand service with thousands of in-depth videos taught by the world's greatest professors. You'll always have something fascinating to learn about. With categories ranging from history to travel, there's something for everyone. The courses I'm personally looking forward to checking out are the 36-part series on the Vikings and the 24-part series The Agency, A History of the CIA. If you go to ageofradio.org forward slash darkwindows, there's an offer to get The Great Courses Plus for 14 days free. Stay ahead in life. Start your access today with 11,000 plus video and audio lectures on a range of topics. Now, let's get back to the show. My dear sir, I think that it is just the time to tell you that you are just wasting your time. As every time I've done what I always intend to do, and remember, it will not stop at this. I will be fair to you and give you a chance. I've never had much out of this life, but I intend to get everything I can now. I've always wanted to do the perfect crime. I have done this, but this time, let the moon shine very bright in September, because this time it must be perfect. Not one, but two. I'm not a maniac by a long shot. But I like to play with you people. You will hear from me before September, and I will give you all the clues, just to see if you can catch me. Yours very sincerely, wait and see. What the? He He's playing with fire. Yeah, who's that sound like? Couple of guys. I don't know yeah. if you've ever heard of him, like maybe the Zodiac Killer or Jack the Ripper. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Maybe, maybe like... The world's biggest dickhead, Dennis Rader, the BTK killer, who liked to fucking write letters to people, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, he, he, yeah, he definitely. So we, we quite clearly have a twisted, screwed up, darkly minded individual here who thinks he's uncatchable. Uh, yeah, that's a, see, that's that's always their first mistake, I right. think. But the think thing, that you're not going to be caught. The thing is, though, where it's different is Jack and the Zodiac got away with it. The Beast of Jersey didn't. The police took this letter as a possible prankster just trying to have some fun with them. Yeah. Uh, true to his word, the Beast struck again in August of that year. They heard from him before September. 
One night, while stalking the streets near Trinity Parish, he attacked a 15-year-old girl in what would have... In what would be a carbon copy of just about every other attack, except for one new feature. This time he left long, parallel, evenly spaced scratches down the girl's torso. I couldn't find anything about what he may have used, mm-hmm. but my first thought would be maybe some kind of a small, like uh, almost like a garden rake, like those little like metal ones. Yeah, like a little, little tiny ones, yeah. Yeah, you know, like the kind of thing you use for like like weeding and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um after the attack, the police took up an interesting tactic. They released a statement saying that they were closer now than ever to catching the mass rapist. Sure. This seemed to work pretty well considering he went into hiding for the remainder of the 60s after this. Yeah, I mean, and I hate to keep comparing him to other criminals, especially serial killers, but this behavior is really, really reminiscent of, again, Dennis Rader, uh, where you go do your thing and then you go dormant for a long time between attacks. Yeah. So that was in 1966. His next attack wouldn't be until 1970. So he took four years off. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he... He basically reemerged in 1970, where he woke up a 13-year-old boy by shining a bright light in his eyes and making him get out of bed. He forced this terrified child out of his home in Valais de Vaux and into a nearby field where he laid it, where he laid his raincoat on the ground and assaulted the boy in the mud. Before he returned the boy home, he told me best keep his mouth shut or someone would hurt his mother and father. That's uh, <clears throat> that's definitely. Um... Enough to absolutely to make you just just shut up because you're not going to say a word. You you don't want to get your parents killed. Yeah, you know because it's not what you want. But the the next morning when the boy's parents found him crying in his room and he, he was covered in mud, they obviously tried to you know, like, hey, what happened? What ha- Where'd you go last night? You know, why are you covered in mud? Yeah. Uh, they ended up contacting the police. And he recounted his entire story to them and gave them a description of his attacker. He told them about a man wearing, a, again, that white mask with shocks of black hair sticking up from it. When the police examined the boy, they found almost identical scratches to that of what the girl had on her. With that, the police began questioning people again. Over 30,000 people were questioned and they still failed to produce any viable leads. That's that, that. That's over half the population of the island, and they got nothing. Now, here's the thing: is how close again was this to France? Fourteen miles. Okay, then, so then eighty-five miles to England. Okay, so I'm gonna assume. We you know what assuming does. Yeah. That there, devil's advocate. There could be a possibility that he may not be from. The area. Right. He could be from France. He's taking a ferry across. At each or, time. Yeah. So. Or by, maybe he has a boat. You know, he's making yeah. his way back and forth. Yeah. And then, I mean, how are you going to stop, you know, how are you going to know that? You literally have to catch him in the act exactly. to catch him. Exactly. Which is exactly what happened one night in 1971. At 11.45 p.m. on the night of July 10th, 1971, 
Officers Ted McGinn and John Riseborough were sitting in their cruiser at a red light when a Morris 1100 saloon ripped through the intersection, running through red lights. They hit the lights, give chase. Over the course of the chase, the Morris sideswiped cars and drove up over sidewalks before the driver crashed through a hedgerow and came to a rest in a tomato field. <laughs> All three men exit their cars and the officers give chase, this time on foot, through the field. After a short chase, one of the officers fucking rugby tackles this guy in this <laughs> wow. muddy old tomato field. Yeah. There was a very, very short but very, very intense struggle and they ended up arresting him. I'm not in favor in any way of police brutality, but I hope they beat the fuck out of this guy. Like, knees to the head, just beat the shit out of him. Well, I mean, at this point in time, they probably wouldn't have, because they wouldn't really know. No, but I hope. One of them just slipped and elbowed in the fucking head or something, you know? (laughs) Yeah. When the officers got him to the station, they got a really good look at just how he was dressed. He wore an old, musty raincoat, They had inch-long nails protruding from the lapels and shoulders. So, (laughs) this is is pre-punk, but kinda. (laughs) You know? Like the fucking nasty old coat with spikes and shit sticking up out of it. He was also, yeah, he also wore cloth wraps around his wrists that were studded with nails. Again. Whatever. So he told them the reason he was speeding is because he was, quote, running late to an orgy, which the police thought was a little weird, but that's nothing compared to what they end up finding in his pockets. But it's the 70s. Yeah. So, I mean, but, so now, okay, so that, those, I'm just thinking, you know, about the whole, uh, talk about the the nails and all Mm -hmm. that good stuff. Those could be them from what are causing the marks. Ding, ding, ding. We have a winner. Yeah. That would be my guess. Yeah. Because he didn't have those before. No. The, I don't think the nails showed up until you started seeing the attack on that girl where he where she was scratched up. And then the, the little boy that was scratched up. I think that those were the first two where the nails were there. And this kind of makes me wonder, what the hell was... Why would he? Why would he do that to his coat? Yeah, it kind of like you know a whole like progression thing. I mean, does it try to like? Are you trying to make yourself look scarier? Yes, or something? Absolutely. I think it has a lot to do with intimidation. Because you got that, you got this terrifying mask, and then you're covered in fucking nails. Yeah, I mean, that's scary as shit, especially if you're a kid. True. You know, very true. So, as they're going through his pockets. They find a flashlight that had been modified to produce a more uh, concentrated beam. So basically he had taped off part of the lens. So you're only getting a beam like right through the very center. Yeah. A wool cap, several empty cigarette boxes. And as they keep going, it gets worse. Okay. I mean. They, They find two lengths of cord, a large roll of duty tape, which I'm guessing is kind of like duct tape. I'm not sure what duty tape is. A blacked wig with... Uh, with spiked hair and the notorious mask hmm. rolled up and stuck in his pocket. Under interrogation, he danced around the police questioning, sometimes flat out refusing to answer and telling them, prove it. Prove I did something wrong. When asking about the clothing, he didn't give them an answer and he told them that he had borrowed the car so he wasn't noticed on his way to the orgy. 
So obviously we don't want people to know that I'm out sneaking around and being fucking weirdo. Yeah, I I tried to look up uh, what duty tape is. Yep. And all I got was heavy duty tape. Is it kind of like duct tape though, or? Well, I mean heavy duty tape. That's that's just just heavy tape. I mean, but I don't know what duty tape is. You know. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe somebody from uh, one of our listeners. From... One of our English listeners might know what duty tape is. I don't know. Yeah. They... Hopefully, yeah, they'll know. So he went on to explain that the nails were there, um, kind of like as an as a deterrent against anybody that might attack him. Human porcupine. What? <laughs> Hold on. Oh. Yeah. What? Well, I, I've got to put these nails on my coat in case somebody tries to attack me. Like, okay, that works for fucking mountain lions. Not people. <laughs> okay. I, I, I don't mean... understand still, but. All right. Go ahead. The officers noticed that he had some marks on his face. And when they kind of like, they were trying to rub him off of his face, they realized they're adhesive marks from tape. Oh. So. Another part of his disguise. Yes. The dirty bastard. Well, no. It's because he had taped the mask to his face. So if somebody were struggling, they couldn't pull it off easily. Mm. You know? Smart move. When asked for his name, he responded, Edward Jean-Louis Pasnell. He was a 46-year-old native of the island of Jersey and a well-known building contractor. Who's that sound like? Yeah. Who had done work Cocksucker. all across Sorry. the island. <laughs> Not just him. There's another one that we haven't talked about yet that was a fucking serial criminal slash contractor. Mm. Fat boy. <laughs> Fat boy. <Yeah>. Gacy. <laughs> No, sorry, just because you said, yeah, fat boy, you know, you know, fat boy. So, so they put him in a cell overnight and raided his home. In his bedroom, they found a small room, which when they opened it, after they figured out how to unlock it, they found contained the same musty smell that they got from his raincoat. That's circumstantial evidence. It wouldn't hold up in court. But inside were numerous items, such as a camera, which hung from a hook beside several photographs of various houses and old clothing, including an old fawn raincoat, a blue tracksuit, and a home and homemade wigs, hats, and false eyebrows. There was also a large collection of occult paraphernalia, such as books on the occult, black magic rituals, and a large carved wooden spoon, which hung on the wall. I'm sorry. <laughs> And a large carved, a large curved wooden sword which hung on the wall. Yeah, I got carved wooden spoon out of that somehow. Huh? Fuck me sideways. Oh. Okay. So <laughs> this is still all circumstantial, right? Because I'm not. You're allowed to have weird shit in your house. Yeah, I'm not putting two and two together yet to say, okay, this is our guy. Yeah. No, you're allowed to have weird shit in your house. I've got weird shit in my house. Plus, once again, I'll reference it's the '70s. Right. Fair enough. You know, people the seventies were, were fucking weird. People were doing some weird shit. You know, Anton Lavey and you know, future episode like Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on. So the police would later learn that Pasnell came from a very affluent family and was married with a daughter and two stepchildren. <laughs> well, Jesus. Hey, fucking double life, man. Compartmentalize and just do your thing. 
Ah, Israel fucker keys. <sighs> Sorry. His wife, Joan, had previously run a foster home called Le Preferance, and they had met when Passnell worked as a handyman there. How many of those kids did he hurt when she was running a foster home? Hmm. I pray, to, I pray that it was none. I hope so, too. But how many was it realistically? Yeah. Right under his fucking wife's nose. Yeah. And and when did she suspect something was going on and kind of overlooked it? Again, it was the 70s. Yeah. Or yeah. did she or she that oblivious and didn't think something? I mean, or did she think it was one of the other kids? She or, almost know. reminds me of her Baumeister's wife, which is kind of like, I didn't know anything was going on. Yeah. Wink, wink, wink. I'm playing dumb, you know? Yeah, that's... So this might be the most disturbing part of the whole thing, is the foster kids referred to him as Uncle Ted. And they would often give... Uh, and he would often give them candy and gifts, play... He would... This fucking guy would dress up as Santa Claus for Christmas at the foster home. Give out presents and all this stuff. Okay. So Ed and Joan ended up getting married in 1959. Two years after... He began his attacks on people. However, it was really not a happy marriage, and the couple frequently fought um, until the birth of their only child, and they subsequently lived together as husband and wife and title only. So they basically, they were married, but only because of, you know, basically the uh, the old adage, you know, stay together for the kids, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of like, a, what's, uh, the, uh, I can't think of it. Huh. Um I can't think of what. Never mind. Sorry, I'm just trying to think of what type of marriage. Not really married, but they're like they're married. Uh, like common law, yeah. kind of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So after the separation, when his wife moved, Pasnell made modifications to the family home and built an annex onto the house where the couple had uh, had intended to live. The annex consisted of a large sitting room and an office, which uh, Paisnell then used as his own personal space. His wife later recalled that they had a fairly normal sex life, which, whatever. I mean, again, these people like this can go do other things and basically be a different person. Wasn't that the same with uh, Baumeister, too? No, they were fuck. He was fucking weird. Like, his wife never saw him naked. Yeah, wasn't there some? Yeah, but there was someone else that we had covered that uh, was the same thing. Like he was, like I mean, a lot of a lot of them. Were Israel like that. Keys, totally normal fucking yeah. dude. Awful, awful, disgusting <clears throat> fuck beast, basically. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, he fucking had a woman tied up in his fucking yeah, garage and killed fucking her. Fucking piece of shit. I ho- I'm so glad he's dead. <laughs> um. So they had a normal sex life, and she believed her husband didn't have a very high sex drive. She would later uh, discover that he kept at least one mistress at a, like while they were together. He was described by his friends and family as a kind and considerate man who was good with children. Fucking wonder why. Surprise, surprise. His only brush with the law had been during the German occupation of the island when he uh, when he served a month in prison for stealing food, which he intended to to distribute to starving families. 
he was considered very much a carefree spirit and could often be found fishing or going for long walks in the country, just, you know, out living life, which meant that he would a lot of the time keep irregular hours because he was just like he'd get restless and just go for a walk at night. So he wasn't like sleeping in normal times and he was just doing his thing. Detectives compiled yeah. their evidence. <laughs> okay. Uh, detectives compiled their evidence and Paisnell was charged with 13 counts, including rape, sodomy, and indecent assault against six victims, with all but one being a minor. So he definitely attacked more than six people, but they can only charge him for six. Because you can't only prove six. Right. His trial began in November 1971. His defense counsel were wise not to enter a, not to enter a plea of insanity because of the amount of planning involved with the crimes. Because if you go, uh, I'm going to say that my client's crazy, and uh-huh. the judge is going to go, he's clearly not crazy because he planned all of this shit out. It was out. premeditated. Exactly. You can't be insane and, and premeditate yeah. murder. Yeah. I mean, you can, but not in the eyes of the law. No. Which is unfortunate. In an attempt to throw off suspicion from himself, he affected an Irish accent and would often leave cigarette packets at the crime scene. He didn't smoke, and he wasn't Irish. So he would use this fake Irish accent again during his crimes, and he would leave empty cigarette packs. So they're thinking, okay, we're looking for an Irish guy who's a smoker. Yeah. So he's smarter than smarter than the average crazy that would be able to get a, an insanity plea. Which, I mean... That could also be a, a way to get off of the out of the crime because, well, you found I, he doesn't speak Irish and yeah, he doesn't have an Irish accent. He doesn't smoke. Yeah, yeah. So how can you prove that it's him? How do you know it's him if he doesn't have an Irish accent? Yeah. Well, something that kind of threw a giant wrench in the works for him is that. Some of the photographs that the police had found in his house of the other houses uh-huh. were the houses of some of his victims, oh, which means that he definitely planned this. You're fucked. Yeah. So he would target a specific house, learning the route of the occupants and the layout of the home. Yeah. Knowing exactly where to go. So he did not disturb the parents as he made his way to the children's bedrooms. <laughs> he kept the photographs as trophies of his crimes and was revealed to have an obsession with black magic. Which, who cares? Black magic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paisnell identified with the 15th century French Lord Gilderay, another future fucking episode, who was found responsible for the serial murders of approximately 140 children who were horribly, brutally killed during black alleged black magic rituals and an attempt to invoke a demon known as the Baron. In fact, Paisnell believed himself to be a descendant of, of DeRay. Of course. And would often mention witch covens, curses, and his involvement in black magic uh, when he was asked about his motivations. So does he actually believe that? Or is he again th- trying to throw them into thinking, okay, this dude's fucking crazy. We can't. Oh no, this motherfucker believes it. I guarantee yeah. it. He, he, he's full-heartedly, like, believes that. I, I just, uh, that's, that's just my, 
I'm sorry. That's he just... seems pretentious enough to think that he is from some fucking royal lunatic. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And if you see pictures of this guy, it's weird. He he just looks like the average dude that you'd see, like walking well, into a fucking grocery store or something. Well, don't most people that are... That's the thing, is most serial killers just I mean, look like normal people. I mean, <laughs> only Richard Ramirez looks like a fucking psycho. Yeah. It's like you, you don't realize that it's not an actual person. It's a monster pretending to be people. <laughs> Richard Ramirez is the only one. But it's because Richard, Richard Ramirez looked like fucking Satan. <laughs> Which actually, no, there's another guy that we're, we're going to talk about at some point in time who is visually crazy. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's visibly crazy. Yeah. <laughs> ah. So the evidence that was piled against him, absolutely overwhelming. Uh-huh. The mask, the coat, the nails, all the... <laughs> reports and the descriptions there's no way he's getting out of this i mean at this point in time his his lawyers just gotta say yeah bud you're fucked yeah you know uh we can get you this at best but um yeah you you you're you're screwed sorry another thing that really hurt him was the fact that when they brought in a handwriting specialist to compare his handwriting uh-huh. to the handwriting of the letter he said they matched and then they had his wife look at it and went yeah that's his handwriting so and who else would better know than his wife right because she's probably seen it once or twice exactly on night on 29th november i i had to write it that way because <laughs> that's how they would have wrote exactly it. so on 29th november 1971 the court deliberated on his fate and within 38 minutes, the wow. verdict of guilty was reached against Edward Pasnell on all 13 charges. Whoa. Yeah, that's a quick one. Yeah. He was taken back to his cell to await sentencing, which came two weeks later when he was handed a 30-year prison sentence. What? 30 fucking years. How this piece of shit only got 30 years? I... I can't fathom <laughs> how they didn't just take this guy behind the courthouse, tie a rope around his neck, and shoot him in the fucking teeth. Because I guess it... Throw him in a dumpster. Call I it good. I guess it holds different attributes because he didn't kill anybody. And don't take this the wrong way. It's also Europe. <laughs> you know, they, they do things differently there. Yeah. If this guy had done this here... He'd have been on fucking death row. He would have got a life sentence. Well, I don't think he would have have been in jail for a long time. Well, here's the thing. If he had done this here, he wouldn't have made it out of prison. He would have been fucking dead within a month. Another inmate would have found out, oh, you hurt kids? And they would have killed him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're dead. Yeah. Like, no questions asked. They they would have found him fucking, you know, dead somewhere. he's, He's gone. Yeah. He would have been the one that would be in solitary or he would be confined somewhere where nobody could get to him yeah. just because of what he did. Yeah. I mean, hell even strange enough. I've in our local, local little prison. I've been in there one <laughs> our adult daycare center. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was in there one time and there was a, I don't know. Saw some people. I'm like, what are these just, you know, guys like holdover type area, you know, just where they, you know, 
people waiting on things or whatever, or they just committed a bad enough crime. And they're like, yeah, well, one of them, he just can't be around everybody else. I'm like, oh, he did that bad, huh? Because, I mean, let's be real. The prison in Rutland is mostly... um, like drug offenses, drug offenses, maybe, maybe a domestic here and there. Yeah, but mostly mean, drugs. Ev- maybe a murder. I mean, I know <sighs> there was one guy that's in there that. Well, I still don't believe he did it, but you know, who am I to say? <laughs> yeah, let's we'll we'll leave that one alone. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we'll move on. Paisnell stood next to his attorney when the sentence was read, absolutely emotionless, no nothing showing on his face. He was yeah. then brought to Winchester Prison. In November of 1972, he appealed his conviction and sentence, <laughs> but was unsuccessful, thank Christ, and was returned to the prison. Wow. During his time in prison, he was considered a model prisoner. He was released in 1991. Very briefly, he returned to Jersey. His stay would not last long because the local sentiment toward him was still strongly negative because of his crimes. Yeah. Obviously. Duh. Because, you know, it's still fresh. I mean, it's 30 years later. It's still fresh. Don't matter. Yeah. You're still a piece of shit. Once a piece of shit, always a piece of shit. Don't matter. Yeah. You know. So he ends up leaving the Isle of Jersey and he would spend the rest of his life on the Isle of Wight where he would die of a heart attack in 1994. Oh, poor motherfucker. <clears throat> the fact that this guy got to die a free man makes me fucking incredibly, like, uncontrollably angry. Yeah. There is no way this guy shouldn't have been in a concrete box until he was fucking dust for what he did. And he got to die a free man. Yeah, because, I mean, he fucking, he robbed those children and, well, adults, women... Yeah. Uh, of precious, I mean... He destroyed their lives. Yeah, because, I mean, they, they had... You know, I mean... Having relationships probably was the hardest oh hell. I couldn't imagine. You know, uh, for some of them, for a long, long time. I mean, the therapy they had to go through, I guarantee you, was, was <laughs> tremendous. Yeah, that... that uh, <sighs> this guy should have been beaten to death. Yeah. In the middle of the fucking street for the public to see. Dead, dead, dead. Sorry. Yeah. So although he'd been vindicated, our buddy Alphonse from earlier, who was the original prime suspect, remained in self-imposed exile for the next 14 years where he lived as a hermit and became known as the King of Ershans. He remained there until 1975 when he finally returned to Jersey and settled in a single room in a cottage in Dumar Street. St. Hillier, where he lived in extreme poverty until his death on June 3rd, 2012, which is unfortunate because the poor bastard didn't do anything. He didn't do a fucking thing, but you know, you're being persecuted because some, somebody else was an asshole and you matched the description a little bit. So let's add him to the list of fucking victims who had their lives destroyed by this piece of shit too. Meanwhile, there had been unsubstantiated rumors that Paisnell was directly involved in the child abuse claims committed at the notorious Jersey Children's Home, Haute de la Granere. The independent Jersey Care Inquiry 
would reveal that he was a regular visitor there, and former residents recall how he would prowl the halls and the rooms after creeping in through the windows wearing his raincoat and gloves. So this piece of shit used to not just go into people's houses, he went into a fucking children's care area. Basically like an orphanage. (laughs) Where these kids don't have anybody that actually gives a shit about him, that would listen if he did anything and they'd said anything about it. Yeah. He was a fucking monster. He earned his nickname. Fuck him. He was suspected of using chloroform to render kids unconscious and remove them from their beds and abuse them in the way that he preferred. It was also suspected that he would regularly visit La Preference, which is the foster home that his ex-wife ran. Yeah. And do the same thing there. Um. So they think that a lot of the time when he was on his little hiatuses, yeah, he was still doing it, but he was going to these homes for kids that basically nobody wanted and doing it there. Yeah, because so he they don't think he ever actually stopped. They think that he just took a break from his public crimes and started doing it in private, yeah, where nobody cared. Well, I mean, to kids that nobody cared about, right? I mean, yeah, so that didn't matter. You know, to the general public. So what's the difference? You know, I mean, you know, these are unwanted children. So fuck it. Pretty much. Who cares? I mean, if something happens to them, who's going to believe them? Exactly. It's like homeless people or prostitutes when they get murdered. Nobody gives a fuck. It's just one less statistic the police have to deal with. Exactly. You know, one less arrest we have to make. Yep. One one less, um, I don't know, I don't put it proper, but. Yeah, anyway, we we yeah. know where you're going. You yeah, know? yeah. So, despite all these allegations against him, he was not included in the initial inquiry about the sexual abuse at these two mm. places, which would become known as Operation Rectangle. Uh, police investigators concluded that there was no firm evidence which connected him to any instance of sexual abuse committed at the homes, which came under the parameters of the investigation. Uh huh. So they didn't have any evidence, but they still had a suspicion. Um, During these findings, it is believed by some that Edward Paisnell committed many more crimes than anybody had actually suspected or that he had been uh, convicted for. Uh, There were possibly like upwards of of hundreds more people that he attacked. Yeah. uh, Than were actually reported. Um. And, and there is still, you know, there, there's still like a legacy on the island of what he did. And I can, I can guarantee you, I can fucking promise you, people probably to this day don't let their kids outside after dark by themselves. Oh, I, I, I couldn't fucking imagine being like living in that much fear of somebody like that. It's, and this, this one made me angry at myself. Because when I first found it, I was like, I found a, I found a fucking top 10 list. Yeah. Top 10 yeah. criminals that wore masks. And I was yeah. like, whoa, that thing's fucking crazy looking. Let's check that out. And by the time I got into it, I was like, I'm too deep in. I've got to finish. I, yeah. I, you know, and uh, I kind of regret that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but again, the fact that this guy got to die free. Ah, uh, that doesn't. It's fucking uh, impossible. It's uh, 
Yeah, that's not right. No. No, he, he should have been fucking ritualistically executed. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so if you hung out with this with us if you hung out with us for this one um we appreciate it uh if you skipped it i don't blame you i wish i did too um but that's all i've got yeah and this is you know yeah (laughs) because i i had a hard time finding like reliable sources here because the main source for a lot of it is a book that his ex-wife wrote where she's just like oh he's a fucking piece of shit he did this because he was secretly gay yada 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 and it's like that has nothing to do with it. Being a homosexual and being a pedophile are two totally different things. One's, one's normal, whatever. I don't care. If you're a pedophile, yeah. you don't deserve to live. <laughs> you know, if we uh, if we euthanize dogs that hurt kids, why don't we euthanize people that hurt kids? There's yeah. more of them than there are dogs that bite kids. I can, tell you, I can guarantee it. Uh, you're, pr- you're probably right. Yeah. You know, it's... it's uh definitely uh yeah that's definitely a case i mean he uh i don't know i'm trying to like this kind of trying to make sense of it (laughs) yeah and you can't because it doesn't make any he was smart to extent but he overplayed his game yes absolutely it it just kind of it it kind of it's disgusting as shit yeah you know i i it's it's the only way i can you know say it it's it's disgusting it just it it's just a piece of shit that you know yeah he was mentally unstable in a sense. Right, but he wasn't crazy. No. There's a difference. Yeah, definitely. But this ended the same way as so many other, like, serial crimes do. By making a mistake. A simple fucking mistake. If he had stopped for the red light, would he have gotten caught? No. Not not as often, not as soon. He may have not got caught at all. At all, exactly. It's like, because he made one dumb fucking mistake. I mean. It ended it. He may have not. I mean, uh, how long could he have gone? I mean, for a long time. Oh God! Until well, he. I mean, until what? Maybe the nineties. He could have easily continued into like the nineties. Maybe I mean, because well, yeah, but DNA testing would would have uh, caught up with him, right? Eventually, yeah, eventually. I mean, but it's saying DNA testing. I mean, the uh, I don't know what uh, exactly what point. But, I mean, because I'm not, like, in tune with when DNA testing and all that stuff came about, but... I believe it was, like, the late 80s, early 90s, somewhere in that neck of the woods. I'm well, probably, probably, probably wrong, was but... then, but it wasn't really perfected until probably the 90s or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, but he could have gone until the 90s and got caught because... Yeah, but how many more countless lives would he have destroyed in that period of time? Oh, give him another thousands. Give him another 20 years? Fucking Christ. Thousands. Yeah. And who's to say he actually stayed there, you know? He who's may to have... say that he didn't continue doing this elsewhere and just True. didn't get caught for it? True. He may have uh, gone somewhere else and, you know, to the other place he went yeah, to. Yeah, the Isle of Wight. After and and continued on and, you know, it's just he was probably more careful 
you know, about how he he did what he did. But anyway, let's stop talking about this yeah. fucker. Okay, so the Isle of Wight is uh like southwest of uh of London. And it's really I mean <laughs> it's it's a fucking hop skip and a jump from Jersey. Yeah. He'd probably visited there on holiday before, you know? I mean it's that fucking close. Probably. But um yeah, I'm done with this piece of shit and I uh I'm glad he's dead. I just wish he had died a violent gruesome death like got hit by three fucking trains at the same time like he was in the middle of a train crash where they hit each other head on yeah i think this is like the second one where you know it's something close to this you know like uh crime wise and stuff that has kind of like irritated the hell out of me as how the person died because like israel keys so let me ask that fucker got away you know he he like committed suicide and didn't get a go to trial, so yeah. basically he died on his own terms. And yep, you know he was, got he took his own way out. Yeah, which is not fair. Which is which is not fair to the victims and to the families. So let me ask you a question personally. Yeah, who's a bigger piece of shit, Edward Pesnell or Israel Keys? That's a tricky one. <sighs> uh equal footing. Uh, I don't know. I, I think Israel Keys was because he was so goddamn cocky. Right. Israel probably would not have been I cocked. don't think he would have. He probably would have been still killing to this day. Yeah. Because nobody was going to catch him. Nobody knew about him. And nobody knows how much how many people he killed. Yeah. And how he did it was <laughs> Pretty much like one of the perfect crimes. Yeah. This dumbass. To me. Well, he would have got caught eventually. To me, Paisnell is worse because he. It was to he, kids. It was to exactly. kids. He was. I mean, yes, he attacked adults, but he attacked mostly children. Yeah. And like, there's a spot there where you're just like, you are the worst thing that has ever fucking existed because exactly. you're intentionally hurting a child. For your own pleasure. Yeah. That's the, the And there's just like ugh. that doesn't uh that doesn't sit well with me, you know, ever. And you know, I had a higher enough time when I mean if that sits well with anyone, please, please go see a fucking doctor. Because that's a that's a problem. <laughs> I mean, I had a hard enough time with talking about um the uh, yellow deli that that uh yeah whole thing and i was that cult thing and i was that really was rough yeah and but that was that was child abuse on a different level where yeah. that was but it's still it's still attacking children and i kind of yeah it's not right no it's not uh, i just i'm i'm so glad that full disclosure when we took our little break I started working on this episode like probably three days into that break and I finished it about a week later and it's been in my fucking brain for that long. And I'm just like, I want to talk about this to get it out of my fucking head so we can move forward. Yeah. Well, so. <laughs> yeah. And you've been saying that you want to. Um, 
get the get it out of your head and out of your brain. And if you're I'm, like you're like yeah okay okay I'm like no please. But I really didn't want to talk about it. I was <laughs> like, just like please yeah. just let me get this off my fucking chest. <laughs> I, I just was like uh, I really would rather not discuss it. Yeah, because I just don't want to talk about right. But that's that's something that I kind of wanted to do when we came back is I wanted to do I wanted to find a couple of topics that push nobody. That or very few other shows have talked about. Yeah. And I had a hard time finding anybody who had mentioned this guy in a full episode. Yeah. So I was like, not necessarily him deserves to be talked about, but the story of what he did to these people deserves to be told for their sake. Exactly. You know, and everything that I found, if I found any names, I kept it completely anonymous. Um, I took out a lot of the more uncomfortable details to talk about because there was some spots where they went into detail as to what he was doing to these people. And yeah, that's not, I didn't want to talk about that because that would definitely would, uh, I would, would, re- would definitely require uh, a pair of headphones. Yeah. I, I would, I would have fucking holes in my walls. If I'd gone into the full detail, I would have, I would have punched holes in my walls just out of sheer frustration of starting yeah. this fucking topic. So, yeah, you want to talk about? <laughs> yeah, you you want to talk for a minute on headphones? Yeah, yeah. This is definitely like like I said before at the beginning of the podcast. This is definitely one of those ones where you want to have a pair of headphones or earbuds to uh, to listen to the podcast on because you don't want people other people to hear this. So go over to Studios Sweden or go to Studio dot com and check out all of the selection that they have. Find what you want, put them in your basket, go to checkout, put the promo code of DarkWindows15 in to get 15% off because, well, we love you, you know, because we do. And, uh, yeah, and if you want to reach out to us, you can uh, find us on uh, Facebook. We're at Dark Windows Podcast. Uh, we're on Instagram at Dark Windows Pod, Twitter at Dark Windows Pod. You can email us at Dark Windows Pod Pod. <laughs> Kevin keeps I'm keep keeps things I'm gonna forget it because you always do. <laughs> That's true. We can, so you can email us at darkwindowspod at gmail dot com. Um, hell, I'm on uh, I'm on the Facebook. Uh, I'm the I'm Kevin Hire and Kevin. Well, Kevin's Kevin Carlton. I am Kevin Carlton. So, I'm the well, I'm not gonna say I'm the only one, but I'm. In my own head, the most important one. <laughs> Whatever. You can think that. I can. You and know, I will. And other people might back it up. So. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So. Oh, also, darkwindowspod.threadless.com. Go buy a t-shirt or something. Yes. <laughs> not got, or something. We got t-shirts. We got stickers. There is, uh, like, wall art, which I don't know why anybody would want our bullshit as wall art, but just get a t-shirt or, like, a tank top or a hoodie or something. Yeah, just go fucking wild it's it's awesome we you can do it with either the logo in white like the cur- the mm-hmm. shirt that i'm currently wearing the classic black with white logo it's sexy or you can do the logo in black and put it on a white shirt or an orange shirt or fucking whatever colored shirt just don't put it on a black shirt cuz that doesn't make any goddamn sense you can't read it you want a bl- you want a plain black t-shirt just fucking go buy one but <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah that's what we got <laughs> <laughs> 
So with that said, thank you, thank you for listening to our sales pitch for our bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Good day. <laughs> yeah. We could kick ass on Shark Tank. Just be like, hey, we got fucking T-shirts and a show where we talk not so good about stuff that we think of research about. Give us money. Thanks, Mark Cuban. You're the best. <laughs> we <Yeah>. out. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> anyway, just because you can't see out into the dark doesn't mean that the dark can't see into you. Bye-bye. <laughs>